John 3.16, eh? Classic. You know, every major American sporting event, you see it, don't you, behind the like football goal or the baseball stand, somebody carrying a placard, John 3.16. It's so cliche. As a preacher, you almost don't want to preach on it. You're like, what is there that could possibly be said about John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whosoever, if you like, should believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it's a significant scripture for me. And that's because a few years ago, it played uh, an important part in quite an occasion, quite an event in my life. And what happened was this. Amy and I, uh, as many of you know, because we bore you with this almost every week, spent a few years in California ministering, working in a church. It was a hugely significant time for both of us um, in so many different ways that I'll uh, no doubt be boring you with for months and years to come. But on one occasion, quite early in our time there, so it's probably sort of 2009, early 2009, we were given this job to do. And the job was to take a video camera and also a massive cross, a cross, probably a bit bigger than that one even, the one behind me right now. And to go with this cross and this video camera, Amy and I and a couple of others, to a campus of a university. The university was called UCI, University College Irvine, University of California, Irvine. And it's one of the the number of universities uh, along the coast of California. This university is interesting because it had a particular sort of emphasis on sciencey stuff and was known, is known, for being a place that's like not at all hospitable to faith, um, particularly to the Christian faith. And we went knowing that. In fact, we went because of that. And the whole point, uh, it it was around Easter, the whole point was to take the cross and to do like vox pops with people. Do people, do people still call things like that vox pops? When I was growing up, they did. No. Is that a thing anymore? Vox pops? No? Okay. Vox pops are when you take videos of people saying things. That's it. So we took... <laughs> Maybe that was... Yeah, it was a long time ago. So we took this video camera. We took the cross. And we just... As people were walking past, we'd say, Hey, can I just have a moment of your time? Can you tell me what you think of when you look at the cross. Now we've got a whole host of, um, of sort of reactions. Some people were like, well, people were quite aggressive. A couple of people were, most people weren't aggressive. Some people were like, yeah, I'm totally signed up. I'm a Jesus freak, just like you. Isn't this awesome? Uh, most people were somewhere in the middle. And I would say that largely the response was like ambivalence. Sort of like, yeah, uh, haven't really thought too much about it, don't really know what I think. Anyway, that's all happening, right? As that's happening, I see a guy, he's an older man, um, uh, as I remember it, he's a bearded older man, and he came into this sort of central area in UCI where all this stuff was happening, there were a number of like stalls and tents of People like selling their particular societies and all this kind of thing. And he came into this courtyard where we were doing our thing. We were off to the side, but he came right into the middle. And he stood there with um, like a sandwich board, but he wasn't actually wearing it. It was like a flag. But out of his, he had a holster for his flag. And out of the, you know, came a massive pole. And on the pole was a, a flag, a, a sign. And on the sign it said, and I can't remember the exact details, but it said, God hates, and dot, 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 fill in the blank. There were a few things that God hates. 
On the back of it, there was some more information as well. Things that God hates. And this guy started to tell anybody who would listen. And at this point, there were a few students who would listen about how much God hated them. And he started to get into arguments with these students. Now, we're here, we are off to the side, minding our own business, talking over here to people. What do you think about the cross? And here's this guy doing this. And I, I was initially just interested. Oh, what's going on over there? And I began to sort of hang out. And it was really interesting. The first thing that I noticed was who I was siding with. So here's this supposed, purportedly a Christian guy hanging out with this message of hatred. Here are these students who are like you know, avowedly anti this. And I'm like, immediately, I just go and stand with the students. I'm like, who's this guy? What's he doing? Anyway, it wasn't enough. After a while, I just felt like this isn't enough. But somehow I have, to, I, have to, I have to react against this. I have to do something. I have to, whatever this guy's doing, I have to oppose it. And I didn't know exactly how I was going to oppose it, but I thought I'll just begin by approaching the man. So I began to approach the man, and I stood in front of the man. I think I began with trying to reason with the man. What are you doing? This is, you're talking nonsense. I don't exactly know what I said. But he went for me. Now, some of you have played me at sport, and you know, or you've, maybe, you've, maybe you've critiqued me, maybe you've criticized me. And you know that there is a flaw, a particular flaw. There are many flaws, by the way, folks. But there's one particular flaw in my character. It's a personality issue. It's an immaturity. It's, let's call it what it is. It's sin. And, and that's that when somebody goes for me, I can't help often but go back. That's, that's a problem. That's a flaw. It's a failing. It's sin. Anyway, this guy went for me. I'm like, dude, calm down. I didn't do that. <laughs> I faced up to the guy. And I pointed my finger into his chest. And I looked, squared up to him and looked him in the eye. And I don't know what I said. I don't know what I was about to say. I didn't say anything. But I realized at that moment two things. First of all, I realized this. I was, a pa- I was a pastor paid to be on the staff of a church. That was the first thing I realized. Second thing I realized is that I was still on camera. <laughs> I thought, this can go no further here. And in that moment, I thought, this is not no... I, I'm going to walk to the edge. And now by, but, so by now, a, a large circle has formed. And this man, is, is, it's lunchtime, and this man's being watched by probably a hundred or more people. He's got the attention he came for. And I just found myself on the side of this circle, just crying out to God, just saying, God, this is not good. I'm, my response was not good either. But this is not good. This has to stop. If, and I remember praying this prayer, if you want me to do anything about this, please show me. And the strangest thing happened. And I cannot give you a reason, any reasons for what happened next. I, I can't even describe the process by which it happened. All I know is that moments later, I was in the middle of the circle. This time not confronting the man with my back to the man, standing in front of the man, as if to shelter the people from the man. And I was shouting at the top of my voice. The only scripture, the only one I could remember. Now, folks, I've read the Bible every day for many, many years. There are scriptures that are in me. There's bits of the Bible I've learned and rehearsed over many years. And I tell you, in that moment, I could not remember a single one of them. The only thing I could remember was John 3.16. And I shouted like this. My hand was doing this. For God so loved the world. And I couldn't remember the next bit. And I said, this man is lying to you. God so loved the world. I don't know how long that went on for. It went on for a little while. 
And then I thought, this is a one-point sermon. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) That happened a number of years ago. Why do I share it now? Because in that moment, something had to be said. Something essential had to be said about God. This man had misrepresented God. He told people, he was telling people that God was somebody who was primarily defined by his opposition, primarily defined by his hatred, by his antipathy, by his miserliness. The God of this man was a God who had small affection for people, a God whose heart was withered and stale. And in that moment, the only thing I could do was to say, no, this man is lying because God is not like that. The essence of the God that Christians worship is not that God is a, a God who hates, but he's a God who is generous. God so loved the world. Or if you like, God loved the world in this way, that he was generous, that he gave. Now, we've been looking over a number of weeks now at a series we've called Foundations, So cold because we've been trying to say, look, for us as a church, what are the things we want to see this house founded on? And you know, right, that if you're going to build any building, any house, any other kind of building, the the key thing is to get the foundations right. You You can sort of play fast and loose a bit later on if you've got the foundations right. Now, if you're building a house, I don't encourage you ever. Play fast and loose. And it's not our intention to do so here either. But the key work is the work of building foundations. And so we've said our bedrock here has to be the presence of God. That for us, what it means to be the people of God is to be people who experience and press into and seek his presence. You remember Psalm 27, my heart says if you seek his face, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. We want to be people who seek his presence together. And then we said that, okay, how do we do that? Well, that means being a a people who are extravagant in our worship. We talked about David dancing into Jerusalem, wearing just his underpants. And we said, this is the kind of image we have. Now, none of you have come to church since in your underpants. But we want to be, and thank you. (laughs) But we want to be a people who are extravagant in our worship. And church, let me say, there's more we can do in that area. There's more. We can help the worship, we can help the worship team out more, can't we? We can bring a bit more than we are. You know, I've started praying with a a group of men on Wednesday morning. And the first time I walked in uh, to this, the, the first thing that struck me was when I was outside, I could hear the music. It's Wednesday morning, first thing. And the second thing is just the utter abandon of the men in that place, just worshipping. I just thought, wow, I want this. I want that. Basford, every Wednesday morning, I want that here. I want to encourage you, church, we're not done yet with learning how to worship. It's got to be about worship. But we said, it's not just about worship. We're going to experience and walk with the presence of God. It's also about prayer. We want to be the kind of church that learns how to remain, how to be anchored, to be connected to God's presence at all times. It can't just be about Sundays. It's got to be about every day. And we talked about remaining in Jesus, being connected with him, and how that often means that the work that we see him doing is work of pruning us. 
Last week we talked about how that's not just like vertical, but it's also horizontal. It's about how we love one another. And I want to guess, sum up this series for now and close it off for now by talking about what it means to be generous with each other and generous with God. God so loved the world that he was generous. God loved the world in this way, or this is how God loved the world, that he was generous, that he gave his only son. That's what that scripture in John 3.16 says. He gave his only son. Firstly, he says, God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, what, what, what John is doing, who is now um, commenting on words Jesus has been speaking to Nicodemus, what John is doing is to say this. He should say that love, which is what we talked about last week, looks like generosity. If you want to know whether you love somebody or whether they love you, you know it actually when you see generosity, don't you? You know, some of you may be a, a courting, an old-fashioned word like vox pops there. <laughs> some of you maybe are in relationships, whether those are good friendships, maybe they're romantic relationships. I tell you when Amy and I got together... Way back when, 10, 11 years ago, you know, the, it, there was just this, like this exchange of generosity. To be honest, most of it probably was from Amy to me. She was leading in love. And I told you this before, but she used to, she used to come to the flat where, where I was living every Saturday morning. And she'd knock on the door and she had my favorite Starbucks drink. And she had the apple and cinnamon muffin that I loved the most. And she had to get there bright and early, folks, because that, that sucker would sell out. <laughs> God, Amy so loved Johnny that she was generous. Generosity is, is the outward expression of the inward emotion, the inward heart posture that love is. Generosity is what love looks like when the rubber hits the road. God so loved the world that he was generous. He gave. What did he give? He gave his son, his only son. What does God give? Not something which is peripheral to him. Not something which he really could do without. You know, something like, hey, I've got three pairs of the same jeans. Do you, fancy, do you want to take one? I could eBay them, but yeah, you can have it. That's not how God gives. God gives something which is essential to his identity, to his very being. He gives his son, his only son. And when we read John 3.16, we're reminded, anybody who's read Genesis 22, which was also read to us, is reminded of what happens, this transaction, this moment of interaction between God and Abraham, where God comes to Abraham and says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. So the student of the Bible who hears this in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, is immediately reminded of the example in the Old Testament of Abraham. God coming to Abraham saying, Abraham, if you really love me, you say that you love me. But if you really love me, You'll offer up to me the thing which is most precious to you, your son, your only son. Now, as the story goes forward, you remember that, that actually this is the test that Abraham doesn't have to go through with this test. 
But what's fascinating about this scripture is this is the first time, as we read through the Bible from cover to cover, this is the first time the word love is used. And there's one particular way of interpreting scripture which is, goes by the name of the principle of first mention. And it literally means this, that the first time a word is mentioned becomes a defining way of interpreting it as you go through. If we take that principle of understanding the scripture, we are being introduced to the very definition of love here in Genesis. Love, what, it look, what love looks like is love is what it means to give the thing that's most important to you. To be generous with the things that matter most. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not something extrinsic, not something distant, but something essential, something important. His most precious gift. What did he give? His son, his only son. Yeah, God gave himself. God gave himself. To be generous, to be truly generous as God is generous is to give ourselves. God gave his son. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He gave himself. Church, this is what God always does. The whole story of the Bible is, is the story of God's extravagant gift of himself. Let's look at the story in four acts. We begin with creation. And God is not bored, folks, one day in heaven, hanging out in eternity saying, hey, I wonder, is there, is there, a, is there a project we could be, you know, the Father doesn't say to the Son, is there, is there something we could be doing? Is there something that we could busy ourselves with? It, it is getting, it, this whole eternity thing, Jesus, is getting a little bit boring, would you say? The Spirit chimes in, yeah, I think so. You know, could we, should we, should we, should we take on a project? That's not, that's not the inner logic of God. That's not what's happening in eternity. God isn't bored. He isn't lacking in anything. The reason God creates is that the love that exists between the Father, Son, and Spirit is so extravagant. It's, there's so much of it that it overflows. He just simply has to share it. He so loves the world that he creates. He so loves uh, the Father that loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit. They all love each other. There's so much of it that they create. It's the desire that God has to share himself with another. And so we have creation. God shares himself. And as you know the story, if you've read it in Genesis, the world falls away from the worship and love of God. We don't respond to God in the way that maybe we should, that certainly we should. Instead of being content working with God and worshipping God, we seek to become like God. That is not a giver of worship, but a recipient of worship. And so we would expect the story to end there, right? God screws up the plans. In that moment, ceases to will creation into existence and says, we're going to begin again. The project is flawed, and yet exactly the opposite happens. What's God's response to our sin? What's God's response to our disobedience, our autonomy? His response is giving more of himself. God's not the kid in the playground who takes his ball home when the game doesn't go as he planned. God is the gracious, generous, loving Father who says, maybe, maybe I could give more. Maybe if I gave more, they'd understand. 
And so he gives himself to this people, this people in the Old Testament called Israel. He gives himself to them. He, he rescues them from slavery. He carries them through uh, the sea into the promised land. And they're disobedient again and again. And what's his response to their consistent disobedience? To give more of himself. To be more generous. To overflow more and more with his grace. The response to the fall is redemption and God's redemptive work is all about his generosity. And he's generous then, not just with Israel, but he's generous in giving himself as Christ Jesus who comes and dies on our behalf, who lives, shows us irrevocably fully what God is like, shows us that God truly is generous down to the core. And what does his generosity look like in Christ Jesus? His generosity looks like his gift of himself His generosity looks like him giving himself up to be broken. And this is the risk of generosity, isn't it? The risk that loving includes. The the risk of love is always that we might end up broken. And God consistently and continually engages in this risk of love. The redemption continues by self-giving. And finally, the restoration. This is how the story ends, folks. It doesn't, it doesn't end like this. It doesn't end in tragedy. It doesn't end in grief. It doesn't end in sorrow. It doesn't end in broken hearts, broken bodies, and broken lives. It ends in restored creation. And the restored creation gathered together under Christ, worshiping him being drawn into the generosity of the Father and thanking him for it eternally. That's where the story's headed, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And how do we get there? By God giving himself, giving himself his spirit given to us, sewing us together from the inside. All the broken bits, all the hurts, all the traumas, all the disasters being renewed and restored from within. His spirit, more of himself for us. Has God ceased being this kind of God today? No. How then is God this kind of God today? How is he present today? How is he generous today? Through his church. We are the people of God. We are the hands and feet of God. And as God is generous to us, as God pours out his spirit in the midst of us, so we become people, not just recipients, but vessels from whom, into whom, and then from whom and through whom God's generous love can be poured out all over the world, dousing, soaking the world in his love. To be the people of God then is to be generous as God is generous. Our foundation church, in fact, I think we're beyond foundations. I think this is the roof. I think we're building the roof here. The roof of this house is generosity. And it has so great about a roof, isn't it? And uh, what happens when rain, when the blessing, which in some cultures is rain, in here we're like, we've got enough rain, we could do with some sun to be some blessing. But the blessing of rain comes on the roof. What happens? It's poured out. It flows off the roof and, and it flows everywhere else. If you've got a roof that's working well, that's what happens. 
That's what generosity needs to be in this church. The roof. And so when God blesses us, we get some. Some comes into the gutters and we can funnel it if we want. We can collect some, but we're also going to send it out. Send it out. Send it out. We've been called, we've been called here to be what the Church of England is calling a resourcing church. And if it means anything, let it mean this, that we are generous. Church, if we're going to be generous, if we're going to be God to these people and to one another, we need to be generous. How can we be generous? Two things I want to say. Firstly, we need to be generous in every direction. Every direction. We need to be generous upward to God. We talked about this, so I'm just not going to rehearse this again, but worship and, worship and, and, and the idea of remaining, you know, prayer. We, we got it. We've got this opportunity to be generous to God. And the word that comes to my mind and my heart as I think about this is this is word devotion, affection, those two words. I just want us to be, the word comes to me now is instant in affection. Like when we come to this place, I don't, let's not do the warm up. You know, let's not like the first songs, like the stretches. No, I'm just going to stretch into this. And maybe song four or song five. I'm like, yeah, okay, I might, just, I might just raise a hand there. I might just let that thing just come up a little bit. And maybe the last song, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> can we just, can we just, can we do what the psalm said? Can we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts of praise? So by this time that the first thing is like, oh yeah, come on. Some of you are like, no, can't do that. <laughs> do it, try it, you might like it. The posture of our bodies just reflects the posture of our hearts, doesn't it? How do you need to prepare to come to church? Church is not the preparation. The gathered place is not the preparation for something else. We need to prepare. We need to do pre-prep, you know? Like you wouldn't go into an exam. Please tell me you wouldn't go into an exam without revising. <laughs> right, you do the preparation. You know you do, you do the preparation, folks. You've done it. Don't worry, guys. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Don't talk about exams. <laughs> Across that next point out. It's upward. We need to be generous upward. We need to be generous inward toward one another. We talked about this last week. It talk, this looks like love. Loving one another. And Amy said this to me this week. This is right. What does loving one another look like? If loving upward looks like affection and devotion, loving one another looks like being willing to be interrupted by one another. And every morning I get up to pray and I carve out this time in the first thing of the day to give to God. It's a special time. Sometimes, sometimes it, I, like this morning, I was struggling to stay awake. I tell you what, that every single morning, always a little bit, different times, but always a little bit before I would like it, Grace, my eldest daughter, interrupts me. Daddy, can I have breakfast? I'm like, we need to train you to do this. <laughs> but that moment of interruption, I, sometimes I respond out of like, oh, annoyance, frustration. No, I'm having my time with God. <laughs> and then sometimes I realize just how hypocritical that is. <laughs> And I get hold of myself and say, yeah, absolutely. We've got to be inter easily interrupted by each other. That's what it means to love one another, to, to respond to each other's needs, to carry one another's burdens. And we need to be generous outward, outwardly as well. 
Amy had an, uh, okay, just the other day, was walking through town and a homeless person, I don't know if you found his name, I didn't ask Amy what his name was, so apologies for that, but just said, hey, I, do you have some money? And it just so happened Amy didn't have any money, but she just began to chat with the guy and they had a nice conversation. He said, God bless you or something like that. And he just said to her, look, looked her in the eyes and said, thank you so much for talking with me today. Such a simple act. You know, in that moment, all Amy did was have a conversation, but in that moment, she was giving this man his dignity. How do we love people out, out there? It's just about recognizing their dignity. Whoever they are, whether they live on the street, whether they live in a mansion, it doesn't matter. Generosity looks like giving people their dignity. Generosity looks like helping people understand. Naming for people where the Spirit of God is at work in and around them. There's a narrative of death and grief in the world and we come saying, yeah, that's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. God is at work, friend, in your life and let me show you where. Let me show you how. We're generous in every direction. We're also generous in every dimension. We need to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We're generous with our time. So many of you model this already in incredible ways. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are doctors and nurses. I don't want to just pick these two professions out, three professions, these two areas, but I do want to say The way that our teachers, the way that our doctors and our nurses and our medical folks serve us is extraordinary. Extraordinary. And this is is how God is. He just, the the hours and the thankless task, the the stuff that's done by you guys in the name of Jesus is extraordinary. It's worship. It's generosity. It's, it's It's an outward evidence of God's love. So we, we want to be like that in this church. And I don't just mean, you know, it's, it's out there. It's also in here. It's the way that you guys are serving to make this thing happen. Thank you that last time we, we asked, a couple of weeks ago, we asked for people to get engaged in kids' work and 16 people signed up. Thank you. That's awesome. That's generosity. That's demonstrating love for God's people, for those children. Well done. Thank you. With our time, we want to be generous with our talent. There's so much talent in this room. There's so much ability. There's so many gifts. There's so much you're already capable of. And you're serving and you're giving it in every one of those directions we've just talked about. Upward, inward and outward. You're already doing it. Amazing. My encouragement is do it all the more. More generosity. Let let us be known as a generous place where we, we, we give and it's so much fun we just carry on. We're like sacrificial, beyond sacrificial in our giving. In every direction, in every dimension, with our time, with our talent, and finally with our treasure. Folks, this is not a money talk. But generosity that never hits our wallets isn't yet mature generosity. And I want to say to you, this is going to look different for every one of us. I want to say to you, I'm, I've been overwhelmed at times by your generosity. There are people in this room that are not part of this congregation but gave extravagant gifts to helping us set this church up. We're thankful. Your generosity, whether you wanted it to or not, has been considered as worship. 
And there are people, uh, not in this room, but in that room. There's one particular story. You know this story. I'm going to tell it again. One boy in our congregation who, when he, saw the, when he was told about the gift list we had online for setting up this church, he was told by his parents, he was so excited. He said, Mommy, Daddy, I want to give to this. And he said, I want to give a train set. And the train set cost £36, which was all of the money that he'd been saving up for birthdays and Christmases for two years. And he gave it, leading us in generosity. I want to say here that, that we want to be generous both in here, in this house, for the, the, the work of this house and outside. And, and it's our belief, along with much of the church throughout history, that the sort of standard Christian practice is to give a portion of income every week, not as the last thing we do, seeing what's left over, but as the first thing. And in the Old Testament, that was, that was seen as like a 10%, a tithe, a portion of the income, the first fruits, the best, the first, because it's worship. I would say for, you know, people often say, well, yeah, in the, in the New Testament, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Absolutely. We are, you are free to give more than that, folks. <laughs> That's a baseline for us as the church, because we want to be generous with him. But it's not just in here. It's also out there. Here's the thing, guys. None of it belongs to us. You know, we fall into this trap, right? And we have these little things. I've Credit cards, you know, bank cards. And here's, there's a lie. There's a lie printed on the front of your bank card, folks. It's your name. And we look at this and we see our names on them. And so we sort of fall into this trap of thinking that the stuff that's in there must belong to us. It doesn't. If, if we're following Christ, everything, everything in our lives belongs to him. We've died. That's what baptism represents. We've died. We're dead. That old identity that's still recognized on your card doesn't exist anymore. You have died, says Paul in Colossians, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you too will be revealed with him in glory. None of it's ours. We give it generously back to him. Church, what does it mean to become generous? It means to give ourselves fully as he has given himself fully to us. Church, what is he asking of you today? What is he asking you to give? What is he asking us to give? So that his generosity, his grace and his power might be seen in Nottingham as it is in heaven. Why don't we stand?